Hello and welcome again to Catholic Answers Focus. I am Cy Kellett, your host. One of the great resources for understanding early Christianity is the testimony of her enemies. That might seem coward, uh, counterintuitive, uh, but certainly uh, not everyone in the ancient world thought well of Christians or their beliefs, and some of the uglier things that were written about Christians uh, were almost certainly the cause of pain at the time, but uh, those a- anti-Christian writings uh, that survive actually give us a great deal of insight into how the earliest Christians lived and what they believed. Our guest is nationally known Catholic speaker, author, and apologist Gary Machuda. Gary's apologetics books include two from Catholic Answers, Why Catholic Bibles Are Bigger, and Hostile Witnesses, which we will be discussing today. The subtitle, How the Historic Enemies of the Church Prove Christianity. Gary teaches online middle school and high school classes in apologetics for homeschool connections. He hosts a, a radio program on a called Hands-On Apologetics on Virgin Most Powerful Radio, and he has very fine uh, guests there. I know that because uh, Trent Horn's been on. Hi, Gary. Hi. And you've been my mentor. I have to learn how to be a host, so I've been stealing things that you've been doing here. Wow. Um, that is that is several layers of stealing then, because I have <laughs> stolen virtually everything from uh, um, either Patrick Coffin or Jerry Usher. So, okay. So, so congratulations layers. on... We're, we're channeling... It all goes back to... All Catholic <laughs> radio goes back to Gary uh, Jerry Usher in one okay. way or another. Yeah, that's true. Uh, okay, so hostile... Kind of like Kevin Bacon. Yes, right. (laughs) How many degrees of separation from uh, Jerry? Uh, Hostile witnesses. This is actually kind of a brilliant idea. Um, The idea that the things that your enemies say about you actually uh, contain a great deal of information about you. So um, you start in the Bible Mm -hmm. because there are hostile witnesses reported in the Bible. So let's start there. Okay. Um, uh, Who who are the hostile witnesses within the Bible? The New Testament. Oh, well, there's plenty of them. Yeah, there are. (laughs) In fact, I was not really sure whether to start with that because my idea was for non-believers, but a friend of mine said, you know, you want to show that trajectory, that it's the same ideas throughout history. It's just changed a little bit. Right, So, I mean, we have the scribes and the Pharisees, you have uh, the high priest, you have pagans, um, magicians, things like that, Uh, just... uh, Anyone who, who had an initial problem with Christianity, and then, then I look at what they say, and I show how implicit in their words, they show that a real phenomenon that can't, couldn't be denied is, is lurking there. That's what I find striking. Like, if you go around saying uh, things like, well, you cast out demons by the power of the devil, yeah. there's an important bit of information in there. Yeah, absolutely. Even if that's not true, the, go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. Because... Uh, They'll think about it. You have this person who you think is pretending to be a messiah, he's really not, yeah. and he's doing these healings and casting out demons. If it was fake, it was in their best interest to expose them. Yeah, right. right. Yeah. So, but they couldn't for some reason. Instead, yeah. the best they could say was, "Well, he does this by the power of the devil." Right. 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 So it's they couldn't deny the miracles, but they had to change the source of the miracles. And you know what's really cool, Sai, is it wasn't just any old demon, that, but it had to be the prince of demons, yeah. the most powerful, <laughs> which makes you wonder, like, how stunning were these miracles right, right. that they had to go to, well, this was just an incredibly powerful demon. Yeah, that, and, that's, that, and that continues throughout the long history of the church, that you, you can get these insights from the enemies. They're like confirmations. Yeah. And a great deal of what the confirmation is around the person of Christ is... Something extraordinary had to be happening 
or you wouldn't have these extraordinary responses. Yeah. Among right. them, uh, the claim that he is a messiah or a king, that that we actually get from the other sources. Well, uh, for example, the the again the scribes and the Pharisees, their complaint to um, Pontius Pilate is in fact that that he's claimed yeah. kingship. Right. So um, and then. What I, I as we move out of the Bible into those early pagan testimonies, I was really struck by something that I didn't think I didn't know anything about, and I didn't I didn't see this coming. But the fact that uh, now you're going to have to help me, Tacitus, Josephus or Josephus, how do I pronounce Josephus, it? Josephus, yeah, and Suetonius, yeah. they all say these Judeans mm-hmm. were expecting a ruler or rulers. To oh, rule yes. the whole world from them. And I was like, that, uh, because we get a lot of contrary theories nowadays. Well, there wasn't really that great a messianic expectation, right. but yeah. all of the the non-biblical historians all point to the same thing. Yeah, yeah. And and it was a widespread belief. You know, yeah. I go through it and I compare like the, the points that they agree on. And they all agree that this was a widespread uh, expectation throughout the East, that there would be this ruler or rulers who had come out of Judea. In fact, Josephus says it was that expectation that started the Jewish revolt. Right, right. And, and which makes sense because the New Testament, you have you know, people mentioning these false messiahs and so on. It's because that is the time everyone was expecting it. And of all people, right, it's Roman historians are mentioned it and, right. and the Jewish historian. So you have this sense culminating in the revolt of the eight uh, of the I almost said 1860s of the 60s and then the dis- uh, the the temple yeah a little late yeah. <laughs> for, that, for that revolt uh, where the Romans actually uh, uh, killed what hundreds of thousands yeah. of Jews probably destroyed yeah. the temple uh, renamed Jerusalem mm-hmm. and all of that is a consequence of this rabid messianic expectation. Yeah, and, there in Judea. and like you said, today people are, will kind of poo-poo that idea. Oh well, we didn't really believe the Messiah. This is the Christian; they made it up. Uh, but the beautiful thing is that these these witnesses who aren't friendly at all to Christianity. In no. fact, they want to destroy it, or right. they'd like to, except for maybe Josephus. Uh, nevertheless, they all say this is real. This really happened. Right. Right, and uh, 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 this really happened. People really were expecting this. Now, he, Tacitus, I have to say. In writing about the persecutions of Christians under Nero, mm-hmm. part of me is like, I don't even believe this. I think that some medieval person wrote this and put it back in Tacitus because it is such a perfect little history of early Christianity, mm. even including a hint that uh, the Christian belief was destroyed and then suddenly comes back. And you're reading that going, come on, like an ancient Roman historians, it all points so perfectly. So you go ahead and walk us through it, Tacitus and and, yeah. and what he wrote. Yeah, he, well, and I'll see if I believe you at the okay, end. Okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll try to convince you. Okay, thanks. Okay, from memory. Uh, you know, why I think it's authentic is because no Christian would describe it that way. Right. right. Because oh, okay. it's not flattering at all. No. The, he says that Christians are named after the, their founder, uh, yeah. uh, Christos. I think right. I forgot what it was, the name is. Which he takes as a personal name, which is kind of funny. It's really a title. It's the anointed. Right. right. And he says that, uh, you know, who uh, lived in Judea and he was uh, 
he suffered the extreme penalty okay. under one of our procurators, uh, Pontius Pilate. Which is like the creed almost. Yes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you're, it's like under you're reading Tiberius. The, right, yeah. yeah. And, then, and then he says, and the movement was checked for a while, and then it broke out again and spread even to Rome, you know. And uh, you have to, you know, one thing is we have to put ourselves in the shoes of pagans because to him it is so absurd that a group would grow if their leader dies. Yes. They're right. following a dead leader, right? right? Why is it expanding? Yeah. So, I mean, to him, it's just total absurdity. Yeah, yeah. He, was put, he was under put to death in the extreme penalty, and then it grew, you know? And, of course, the part he leaves out is that he isn't dead. He rose from the dead. That's the only explanation for the growth. Right. But uh, you're right. It's almost like the creed, but it's through pagan eyes. Right. It's, and that's what, it, like, it's the Christian story if you didn't really know the Christian story. Yeah. But it's yeah. Ex- it exactly tracks with what we know through the Gospels and the Acts of the Apostles and the letters of Paul of that's what happened. Yeah. And, you know, there's another thing. Most people focus, like uh, historic Jesus research will yeah. focus on that little part. But if you continue reading, you find out that he starts talking about Nero and Nero setting fire to Rome. Right. And how he tried to pin it on Christians. And originally, Christians were persecuted. Why? Because they, they were the scapegoats for the fire. But the later they were charged uh, with, um, uh, I forgot, it was a, uh, uh, being uh, odious to humanity. I forgot the exact words. Yeah, I remember what you were talking about, and I've yeah. forgotten too. But I, I well, yeah, so right, it's not, it's not a charge of, uh, yeah. Yeah, there's a second charge. Yeah, the second thing it, that comes up. Not that you burned Rome, but now it, it's become... This is why we're persecuted. Yeah, and, right. and the second charge is really interesting because in Roman law, that charge was made against people who poison others and against magicians. Right. And he says that that, that second charge really stuck, that people were willing to persecute Christians because they're magicians. Yeah. And in fact, the penalties kind of square with what magicians would be penalized with. Right. You know, they'd be... Uh, 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 set the fire, they'd be fed to beast, and instead of having their throat slits, they'd be crucified. And uh, so why, what, you know, you have to step back and say, okay, what was it about Christians that made these pagans think, hey, they're practicing magic? Yeah, what what were they doing? And then? the answer is miracles. Yeah. They right? Were. I mean, that, that fits perfectly. So you have hostile witnesses on one side, and then you kind of have the answers on the Christian sources. Right. They, they tell you what's going on. And then there's the, the further charge that they're practicing abominations. Yeah. And and, and that is a, it's, a, a, I guess, a pagan saying, well, we're eating the flesh and drinking the blood of our founder. If that's, yeah. that would be the practice of an abomination. That's what, that yeah. seems like what's the, what they're referring to. Right. And Tacitus kind of alludes that, but he doesn't explain what the abominations were. Right. Uh, but in another hostile witness, Pliny the Younger, yeah, who's kind of an erudite governor, yeah, and uh, he we have a series of letters that he has, and he actually investigated Christianity, and so I include that because it's really interesting because we find out what those abominations are, and basically he interrogates uh, ex Christians, he tortures some uh, to get information, and he's fine with that, right? Yeah, that's no problem for him, right? And he said he, he f- says he describes. Uh, Christian worship, very early Christian worship, where uh, they meet together on a certain day of the week, they swear an oath to uh, someone as a god, yeah. okay, and then they partake of ordinary food and drink. And 
you have to say, why did he qualify it with like, you know, ordinary, yeah. safe food and drink? What did he expect us to be doing? Right. And the answer is, you know, the real presence of the Eucharist. They thought we were literally eating flesh and blood as flesh and blood. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So he confirms in a roundabout way the real presence. Right. And the yeah. Sunday worship and the, the, yeah. the whole, I mean, it doesn't say that it's on the first day of the week or anything. Right. But, but the but weekly a worship. But there's a day. Right. 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 It sounds remarkably like the going to Mass. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and in fact, you know, another thing, he also confirms in a backhanded way miracles as well. Because he figured, he's writing to Trajan, the, uh, the emperor, whether or not, you know, we should be, you know, what should we do as far as, should we torture Christians, kill them, whatever. Yeah. And at the end, he says, you know, it's kind of working. This persecution thing's working. Because now people are starting to come back to the markets and buy sacrificial meats and things like that. Which is really interesting, because there must have been a, like a mass conversion to affect the economy. Right, enough that you would notice that. Yeah, so yes. that they couldn't sell sacrificial meats because everyone's not, you know, they're coming Christian, they're not offering sacrifices. Indeed, right. And uh, the I, I was also, you have to, I mean, I wonder if you're struck by this, but reading uh, Pliny, the, the quotes that you have in the book Hostile Witnesses, by the way, available from uh, Catholic Answers Press, Hostile Witnesses, How the Historic Enemies of the Church Prove Christianity, from our guest Gary Machuda. Um, Pliny is a pagan, and he has all the marks of paganism, but it's a very Roman, uh, almost mild kind of paganism. He's like, I don't want to kill these Christians. So I ask them once, are you a Christian? And if they say no, I let them go. And if they say yes, I ask them again. Uh, And I I threaten them a little bit. And if they say no, I let them go. And if they say yes... I ask him a third time. And this time, I really, like, I lay it on. Yeah, right. You know, we're going to kill you, we're going to torture you. Right. And they still, so there's a, it's testimony to the martyrs. Yes. It, right in, like, it's not a, it's not some Christian saying this, it's the actual Roman governor saying, here's how we do it, yeah. and then if they don't go along, we torture them and we kill them. Yeah, 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 very good. And, uh, and, uh, uh, Okay, so but I wanted to go back to Tacitus, if I will. You you okay. got onto Pliny, and I haven't finished with Tacitus, Josephus, and Suetonius. Okay, but uh, Tacitus is writing about when. Uh, he's writing, if I remember correctly, around one hundred seven, one seventeen, I think. Yeah, somewhere okay. in the first decade okay, so, of the second century. Right, so this is not five hundred years later or something. No, this, no, was, this is right after the turn of the century. Right, and when he uh, writes about Nero and the early Christians um, again. We have uh, this um, testimony that he's he slaughtered them, you know, in this way. He slaughtered them in that way, and all. Yeah. But what I was struck by, and I wonder if you were struck by this, was this would have been in the 60s AD, about almost exactly 30 years after the death and resurrection of the Lord. Mm-hmm. And he's saying uh, there was a multitude of them to kill. There's already a multitude of these Christians in Rome. Again, yeah. not coming from a Christian witness, coming from a Roman historian. Right. Were you struck by that? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, you know, there's a thing of uh, sufficient cause. You know, I whenever I look at that, it's like, well, what is a sufficient cause to explain why so many, yeah. so quickly? Right. And you have to, you, you know, you, of course, you can't infer from that, but. Ultimately, it had to have been something so spectacular and obvious yes. that people were willing to immediately convert 
and give their lives. Right. And to me, the only answer would be something like miracles were happening. Yeah. If you see someone you know to have been sick or, or crippled or, you know, uh, in an accident or have some other – was blind, yeah. if you see that person healed, then that's a, an immediate – and then there's the other thing about Christians loved one another. I suppose that's yeah. also pretty attractive. Yeah. Right. Um, Okay, so uh, now the, the next one we get to then is uh, Josephus. Who is this guy? Josephus is a Jewish historian. He mm-hmm. wrote roughly about 100 AD. Yeah. Uh, he originally was in the first revolt as a Jew, and uh, he got captured. And uh, he kind of styled himself almost like a prophet, where he prophesied that Titus would eventually you know, uh, become uh, emperor and so on. And he curried favor with the Romans, and he actually... They had him tag along, so he gives us eyewitness accounts of, say, the destruction of Jerusalem in the first Jewish revolt. Um, so, he, you know, he he gives a, a enormous history of the Jewish people in a work he calls Antiquities of the Jews, where he starts from uh, creation all the way to 70 A.D. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and so one striking thing is how the— the Romans are funny, but they're willing to take a, a Jewish prophecy. They're will any, anybody's got a good prophecy about them. They're yeah. willing to take it. They they appropriated the messianic prophecy. Yeah, they said, well, that refers to uh, Vespasian. Is that yeah, what they Vespasian said? and Titus? And the, so and Vespasian. Who you're they said, to. oh yeah, these they don't go. Oh, this was a crazy thing. They say, well, these Judeans were waiting for their Messiah. Yeah, clearly it was Vespasian and Titus, or. <laughs> One right. or both of them. Right. And then they're crazy. They're so nuts. They think it was this Crestus guy. Yeah, right. Um, so you got to admire that about the Romans. They'll take anything. Yeah, they, that... they, yeah right. Well, look at the uh, the Greek pantheon. You know, they revamped it and made it into a Roman pantheon. Yeah, right. <laughs> they, they were the original recyclers, I think. Yeah, right. So they're willing to take this Jewish religion if it, if it benefits them. Yeah. If they're... Um, uh, so what does what does uh, Josephus tell us about these Christians writing as kind of a Roman propagandist? Really, he's yeah. Well, it's, he actually has some sections on John the Baptist. Okay, and he talks about Jesus in one very controverted section. And why is it controversial? What's the problem? Uh, well, because it's so clearly about Jesus, it can't be. People say See, this they... couldn't have been written by a Jew. And, and yeah, and true, there are some things there that seem a bit odd. Right. Uh, but uh, he basically uh, talks about Jesus as being uh, a wise man uh, who uh, worked many mighty deeds. He uh, uh, he actually the part he says that he was the Messiah, uh-huh. or this is the Messiah is what he says, and also that his followers after his death claim that he rose again, and his followers are still sticking around. Right, which I found was odd because. It's just like Titus, you know. Why are these people still around? Their leader's dead. Yeah, you know? no, they, right. If yeah. you look in the first century, you know, lots of people join uh, these messiahs. They die and they're dispersed and that's it. because right. why follow a dead guy, right? So he kind of is like, and they're still around, you know, 100 AD. Yeah, they're still around, and and uh, so I was kind of kidding about that. I thought the Tacitus thing is so obviously mirrors the whole early history of the church that you almost feel it's a medieval forgery. But there is some question that medieval people might have added something to uh, Josephus. Yeah. Yeah, and there, there's different views. Some say that it's partially, you know, there are a few um, interpolations in there. Yeah. Some think it's all authentic. Others think the whole thing is an interpolation. Uh-huh. And do you have a view on that, or does it... Uh, I, I'm good with the middle view. Yeah. Uh, that... Although, you know, I the, the, uh, the, cl- the one thing that causes the most problem is where he says he's the Christ. And, of course... Uh, he didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. 
Okay, so that's a problem. But to me, if you look in the Greek, he actually says this one's the Christ. Okay, uh-huh. he uses a demonstrative pronoun. So I don't think he's affirming him as the Messiah. I think he's identifying him as the guy who is called Christ. Oh, yeah. Because he mentions Jesus elsewhere. Oh. So it's, and he usually says the one who was called Christ. So I think he's just saying, this is the guy that that's the guy called I'm ta- Christ. Yes, I gotcha. Yeah. Okay. How about Suetonius? Who's he? Uh, well, you know, another Roman historian. Uh, he's got a little line in there, um, uh, I, and I think it's kind of covered with the, the, the Messianic prophecies. Uh, for me, he wasn't as significant, I think, as ta- uh, Tacitus, because Tacitus is so explicit. Right. Yeah. And uh, Suetonius is later. Yeah, I think he is a, a little bit later. And so, are, is there? I'm curious about this. Are there any like ancient sources that you wish would be recovered? Like that we? Oh, I don't have that source. Like in your research, <laughs> was there any like? Oh, I would like to hear what that guy had to say. Are there missing histories that you can think of, or you know? That's tough. It's yeah. like, pick something that you don't know. Yeah, uh, right, right. I'm sure there's probably tons of stuff that would be fascinating. Yeah, right. Um, maybe uh, there was a uh, very anti-Christian pagan called Porphyry Okay, who wrote several books against Christianity. We have fragments of the books, so that might, having you, the whole thing might be interesting. Right, because again, it's got to have data yeah. in it. Even if it's hostile, yeah. it'll have all this data. Right. So... Um, I, I guess I maybe uh, took all that time on the early because it's just fascinating to me, yeah. uh, uh, especially Tacitus. I don't know why. Um, fascinating. Um, but this continues. This uh, Throughout the history of the church, we continue to have hostile witnesses. Mm-hmm. Can you say a little bit more about how that history... Do new ideas come up, or is it the same stuff recycled over and over again? Or? Yeah, you know, that's one thing that surprised me about the book. I thought this book would be a collection of counter-evidence right, yeah. that you can cite back. And But as I was writing, I started noticing that they were all kind of seeing the same thing. They were reacting to the same phenomenon, the supernatural charity of Christians, the unity of the church, miracles, you know... And what I found is when I was done, it was almost like looking, you know, the shrouded turn. I use that example. In ordinary light, it's, it's brown, it's kind of vague, and you can kind of make out details. But if you do a, a negative, like all of a sudden all the details come out. Oh, yes. And yeah, so yeah. when I wrote that book, it was like, yeah, Christianity makes all these claims. It's kind of there. It's a little vague. But when you do the flip side... Yeah. That's when all the details come out because the pagans are really react to certain things that just square peg round hole, and not only pagans but Jews, Muslims. Uh, you yeah. know, I cover all the whole history up to World War II. Right. Uh, yeah, it, and you get this picture of the church that I don't think I've ever seen before, because certain things are highlighted. By yeah, the enemies. By the enemies of the church, and they continue that. I mean, you went up to World War II, but I imagine that it, it continues today. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, Islam is interesting because um, the Muhammad knew Christians and Jews. Mm. He he knows, he's met them, He and, and so his he draws upon that yeah. um, uh, to create this thing which, by the, within a few hundred years of his life, is... For Christians, the greatest threat to their to the existence of Christianity. Yeah. Um, what do you make of Muhammad's witness uh, to Christianity, or to the Muslim witness to Christianity, uh, as a as a kind of hostile witness that gives us data about the Christians that they encountered? Yeah, it's um. Uh, the, what's interesting is their view of Jesus and their view of Mary. 
Okay. In some ways, their views of both seem a lot higher than their theology should allow. Ah, yeah. You know, and that's peculiar. It's like why right. these two people, more than any other, uh, you know, that uh, only Jesus and Mary is sinless. Uh, you know, they don't go, they don't believe in sin like we do. But essentially, they're saying it's not touched by the devil or something like that. And, and right. It's like, oh, that's really interesting, you know, because uh, many, you know, some anti-Catholics believe, well, all this Marian theology stuff was in the Middle Ages, you know, and, right. and tradition and all that. Yeah. But here you have 7th century yeah. Muslims who, like you said, there's an inf- Christian influence that they're getting this influence from somebody. You know, what is it? It's because Christians held a high view of Mary. Right, Mary, and of course Jesus. Right, yeah, and so that you, you. As a matter of fact, many people have said that the, the, um, the depictions in Islam of Mary are not only exalted, but they're plentiful. They're all through. Yeah, right. Yeah, very high. You know, one of my favorite things with the Muslim source is the Crusades. Okay. Yeah, I also go into no popery history as well, and uh, there is a, a Ibn Jabbar who uh, traveled to Mecca on, on his Hajj. Um, <clears throat> travels through Christian lands, Crusader lands, on his way to Mecca, and he keeps a diary. And the diary is amazing because talk about crushing stereotypes. And I have a quote in that passage where he says uh, he was dumbfounded because uh, the Jew, or excuse me, the Muslims who were living in cr- Crusader-occupied territory were treated very well. They were treated justly. They could own property. They paid a light tax. And he contrasted to Muslims living in, under Muslim air territory. Oh. <laughs> and they were complaining because it's like, uh, you know, uh, why is it that these infidels treat us so just? You know, it's supernatural yeah. charity. Right. And, and he, he actually says, you know, may I, I forgot what he says, like, may Allah destroy him, because he saw this as a great temptation to think that Christianity <laughs> might be true, I guess. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Well, that, well, Hostile Witnesses is fun, too. I should let the reader know that. It's just fun to go through and see, as you said, the negative, the negative yeah. image of Christianity. It, it, gives, it, it gives you so much of an insight into what actually... What these Christians, who are our forebears, were actually doing at their times uh, in history. Hostile Witnesses, How the Historic Enemies of the Church Prove Christianity uh, by Gary Machuda. Gary, thanks for taking the time with us. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. And thank you for joining us on Focus. Share it with your friends. Tell them to go over to CatholicAnswersLive.com. They can sign up to be part of Radio Club and get Focus. Get the details of uh, Focus as it comes out each week. We will see you next time.